0: In this episode of Jerry Talks, we will talk about Esperanto. This will be my first episode on languages. Stay tuned for more. Esperanto is a constructed international auxiliary language. You may have heard of it because it is the most popular and widely spoken constructed language. It is a constructed language because it did not develop naturally. It was first created in the late 1870s and early 1880s by L. L. Zamenhof, a Polish-Jewish ophthalmologist. He wanted to create an easy and flexible language that would serve as a universal second language to foster world peace and international understanding and to build a community of speakers. The intention was great, every country would still speak their own language or languages They would learn a universal second language that everyone else would speak and understand, which eliminates any confusions or misunderstandings between languages. So far, sounds amazing. Believe it or not, the language does have native speakers, but only a couple thousand. The number of active speakers is estimated to be around 100,000, with the highest concentration in Europe, East Asia, and South America. There is a universal Esperanto association and it has more than 5,500 members in 120 different countries. The language is also very accessible on the internet, as it is available on Google Translate and learning platforms such as Duolingo. The word Esperanto means one who hopes in English, and Esperanto speakers are called Esperantists. Esperanto has not been a secondary official language in any recognized country but it entered the education system of several countries, such as Hungary and China. Now, let's go over the actual language. Esperanto's phonology, grammar, vocabulary, and semantics are based on the Indo-European languages spoken in Europe. The sound inventory and semantics are Slavic. The vocabulary is mainly from Romance languages, but also Germanic languages, Slavic languages, and Greek. The language is agglutinative, in which words are formed by stringing together morphemes without changing them in spelling or phonetics, called agglutination. An example of agglutination in English is the word shamelessness, which can be divided up into shame, less, and this. Some modern examples of agglutinative languages are Finnish, Estonian, and Hungarian. Okay, back to the language. Esperanto has 23 consonants, 5 vowels, and 6 diphthongs. It only has 16 grammar rules, and there are no exceptions. There are no grammatical genders. The word order is subject, verb, object or SVO. Adjectives can be placed before or after the nouns. Suffixes are very important. Singular nominative nouns end in O. Plural nominative nouns end in OJ or OI. Singular accusative nouns end in O-N or ON and plural accusative nouns end in O-J-N or ON. For adjectives, singular nominative adjectives end in A. Plural nominative adjectives end in A-J. Singular accusative adjectives end in A-N and plural accusative adjectives end in A-J-N. There are six verb inflections for three tenses and three moods. Present tense. A-S, future tense O-S, past tense I-S, infinitive mood I, conditional mood U-S, and justive mood U. All derived adverbs end in E, and all verbs except the imperative end in S. Okay, that was a lot, but these are the grammar rules in Esperanto, and I just went over them in two minutes compared to the hours and days of learning for other European languages, each with their conjugations and exceptions. So why did Esperanto fail? Well, there are many reasons, too many reasons actually, and they're all up for debate. I will just go over some of the main ones. Language is natural. It lives and breathes in a similar way to us. It represents who we are and expresses how we identify ourselves. It constantly changes and flows over the course of years and new words are invented every second as archaic words fall out of use. In short, each language represents a culture and a history behind each word. Esperanto is not natural. It is too artificial. It is too hard for people to learn a language without culture and without history. There is nothing you're getting out of the language besides making sounds and following rules that some guy in the 1800s made. Thus, not many people are interested in learning it. Another reason is that it is not neutral. It is essentially another Romance language. If your native language is not some sort of Romance, Slavic, or Germanic language, then it wouldn't be much different if you learned English. Think about it, if your mother tongue was Mandarin Chinese or Japanese, then you would have to learn the Latin alphabet for both and learn new words from scratch. However, English is the international language for trade, and at least it is used by millions of native English speakers that you can talk to, unique cultures you can experience, and literature you can read. Esperanto has zero political use, zero commercial use. No native speakers and no literature. For some, it would be easier to learn a local lingua franca if you're just talking to people in a nearby country because oftentimes it'll be closer to your native language. The last reason that I want to go over is its bad timing. People started studying it in the 1890s and at the time it wasn't accessible and it never had the momentum to snowball into a real international language before its moment passed. The international language movement came about during a period when French had lost its dominance as an international language, but English had not yet taken its place. By the 1920s, English was already becoming a de facto global language and Esperanto missed its chance. So that wraps up the episode on Esperanto. I want to end off the episode by playing some clips of spoken Esperanto for you guys to listen to. It sounds like a mixture of languages. Anyone who speaks a Romance, Germanic, Slavic language or Greek might be able to pick out certain words from the clip. To me, it sounds like Spanish and Italian with a Slavic accent, but it sounds very interesting. Anyways, thank you for listening. In the next episode, I will do a rant on my perspective on learning languages. Stay tuned for that!
1: In multaj lokoj de Ĉinio estis temploj de la Drakoreĝo. Dum trosekeco oni preĝis în la temploi che la Drakoreĝo donu pluvon al homa mondo. Tiam, Draco estis simbolo de la supernatura estaĵo, kaj pli poste ĝi prapatro de la plej altaj regantoj kaj simbolis la absolutan autoritățon de la feŭda imperiestro. The imperiestro pretendis, that he is the filo of the draco. What is the person that he ports the nomen draco? That this is the ornament of the diverse draco figures. Then, what is the person ornaments?